ever looked back on your life and realised that your entire career was mapped out at the age of 11? That's what happened to today's guest, Gary. This is Being 11. We're here in a hotel in Box Hill, your local area. Yes. What year did you turn 11, Gary? I turned 11 in 1956. Uh-huh. Ah, Olympic year. Yes. And were you in Melbourne? or? Part of that year I was in Melbourne. Uh-huh. Originally, when I turned 11, it was in the middle of the year. I was living uh, on a construction site where the workers were building a dam across the Hunter River in New South Wales, in the, in the upper Hunter area. So you weren't living on the work site per se, you were in workers village I'm hoping and not on the site? Well this, the workers village was adjacent to. Okay well that yeah yes. that makes sense. Yes and they had like the, the local hall I assume there were stores that's where the uh, the school was mm. and that's where uh, the uh, engineers mess was located Okay. I say that because my parents uh, were caterers right. for the engineers. So okay. they did all the, the buying in of supplies and yeah. the cooking of meals for the engineers' mess. And so our house was immediately adjacent to it. So you grew up with lots of lovely smells? Uh, yes, my mother was a very good cook, very good. My father could also cook. Yeah. Um, he was in the Australian military forces. He uh, was in the catering corps then. Strangely enough, I don't have any memory of smells wafting from the engineer's mess, but I was probably mostly in school all day. Mm. Um, I was in grade five uh, in primary school. So, and it was in, in that year that my parents decided to leave where we were living and move to Melbourne. Okay. So we came down to Melbourne and I was enrolled then at a local state school, mm -hmm. Lee Street State School in Carlton. In Carlton, right? Okay. Uh, the first thing I remember was I had no idea that there were that many children in the world. <laughs> Having come from the Hunter Valley. It's Having a pretty come from, dramatic contrast. Yeah, a very great contrast. I came from... Uh, what was probably a one-room school yeah. uh, to a school that was, you know, hundreds of children, it seemed to me. Mm. And I was a very, I was quite withdrawn as mm. a child. I, and I, that the school that I was at in, on the Glenbourne Dam construction site was not even my first school. I think I'd been to two other schools. So before that, around, right. the, around that general district, Aberdeen, Scone, places like that. And that's where my father's family had lived. So I, I always think of my childhood as being a moving experience <laughs> because we're constantly, it seemed to me, moving. Right. In this case, we moved interstate and came down to Melbourne. And, and what was the catalyst for the move to Melbourne and instead of Sydney? I think that... The reason we moved to Melbourne was that my mother's mother lived in Carlton, well, in, in Melbourne, which yeah. is a suburb of Melbourne, and she wanted to come and see her mother. Yeah. 
so we moved uh, lock, stock and barrel, so to speak, yeah. down to Melbourne. And uh, we were, I don't know what, where my, uh, I have an elder, had an elder brother, I think he was, would have been in high school mm -hmm. then, uh, but I had other, two other siblings who were of school age. Mm. I think they probably went to Lee Street as well. So it's quite a busy household. Yes. It was interesting because my grandmother lived in a single storey terrace house. And so I think my pair, I can never understand until many years later my sister explained it to me that uh, my, our parents uh, and the very youngest child, my, my parents had five children with them. Yeah. One of them was not a biological uh, sibling, but uh, somebody my mother had taken in. Uh, he was only a month old right. at the time, or maybe one or two. Uh, they, my mother and father and the young boy, w had rented a room next door. Oh, in the next house? Yeah, in yeah. the next house. And my sister was living in, uh, sleeping in the same bedroom as our grandmother. Yeah. And the three boys... All in the other uh, room. We're in the one room in the one bed. Hmm. I won't go on. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine there was a lot of arguments. Well, yes, my brother, my elder brother was always a difficult customer to deal with. So, <laughs> yes. The interesting thing for me about living in Melbourne was clearly I had no friends uh, because I'd been reefed out of, if I had friends, they were all back in, yeah. in New South Wales. Okay. But as I say, I was quite withdrawn. So... And it's always taken me a long time to get used to yeah. other people. Right. I'm probably much better at it now, but but as a child, I was quite uh, shy in a way and, and withdrawn. And so I had no friends at the school and I spent all my time out of school wandering around in the streets of Carlton. So you, you wagged school? No, no, I mean when I wasn't in school. Oh, okay. That, that's, yeah. that's, what I, that's how I occupied my, my free time. Just wandered the streets? I wandered the streets. Okay. And I noticed that there seemed to be... Uh, I, ke I kept seeing matchboxes uh, that smokers were yeah. throwing away and I noticed that they had labels on them. And so I looked at the labels and I could see that there was a series Ah, the labels. old collector's ones. Yes, and this yeah. in, I found out much later that this was the first set of labels ever produced by a matchbox company in Australia. Right. And they there were two series yeah. uh, in 1956 and they both related to the Olympic Games. Mm. Yeah. One of them was Flags of the Competing Nations. Right. And there were 60 in that and uh, all of the events were represented by little line drawings of, oh, of somebody. Cool. Do you still have them? Unfortunately not. Oh, what a shame. Um, but I, so I, in wandering around, I would pick up the Matchbox labels and see if I had it already yeah. and hang around. I, I spent a lot of time hanging around outside of hotels because <laughs> that's where people came out and threw the Matchboxes. <laughs> so Did you get to know these people? No, not really. Not really. I, but I did manage to save... A complete set of both. Wow. So that's how I filled in my time. Yeah. And and that started me, uh, for the rest of my life, uh, collecting things. Yeah. Uh, I moved on subsequently, after we left Melbourne, 
which was uh, in the early part of the following year. I was still 11. Yeah. Um, we moved away from Melbourne to a farming community about 10 miles south of Echuca. It was called Simi. Uh, the only thing there was a school, a, pr a primary school for the, yeah. for the children off the farms. This, so, this was a dairy farming community. So that's pretty dramatic. You've gone from very rural Hunter Valley mm -hmm. to Carlton, which would be one of the most highly populated yes. suburbs of Melbourne at the time. Yes. To what sounds like an even more tiny yes. place. Yes. That would take some adjusting. Well, it, it, was, it took some adjusting all right. Uh, but because I was so, because I was, I think, this was in, probably you'd think of this as a, some sort of defensive me mechanism that I had developed. Yeah. I, it was hard to get a word out of me. I was shy, <laughs> I was withdrawn, yeah. but I had a very rich interior life. Right. And so the world, I carried the world around with me. So it didn't so, matter where you were? To a large extent, yes, it didn't okay. matter. Uh, I just did what I do. And we went, I finished off my schooling, so I was still 11, uh, and I, I must have started year six uh, at, at Cornelia Creek Primary School. And that was a one-room school. Uh, was full circle. Full circle. <laughs> and uh, I always remember this, that the children, most of the children there, almost all, would have spent all of their schooling, primary schooling at that one. Yeah. We, were, we were newbies. And uh, how, how did the community respond to that? Because I know sometimes in farming communities, uh, people are very slow to warm to. Yeah, I don't, I don't know really. I mean, we, be always being newer to school, we were always, uh, I think, the subject yeah. of some, you know, being picked on a bit. Yeah. Um, but not, you know, you just had to work your way into their, yeah. into their consciousness, I guess. Yeah. In terms of the adults, I, I don't know really. I remember people used to come round and there'd be yeah. gatherings at different times. Well, that's good uh, then. And my father, he had come from uh, a farming community. I think that the cooking at, at, the, at the dam site was, was yeah. uh, a one-off. Yeah. Um, he, he, but he never, he was a dairy farmer, yeah. but he never actually owned a property. He was a share farmer. Okay. And I remember that uh, before we'd moved to uh, the Glenmore Dam site, we lived on a, on a farm just outside of Aberdeen. Yeah. So I went to Aberdeen Primary School before <laughs> I went to... So, yes, a moving experience. Very much. So when I, when I talk about collecting things, I started, while we lived at Simi, uh, collecting the swap cards that we got in packets of Vitabrits. Vitabrits? Yes. Huh. Uh, it's a breakfast cereal. Yeah. 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 And they used to have two cards in each packet. And what was on the card? There was one set on fishes of the world. Right. One set on birds of the world. Yeah. One set of strange peoples of the world. Strange peoples. Of the world. Number one in the set was the Australian Aborigines. Mm. 
That, this was 19, yeah. it's in the 1950s. Uh, I can't think of the fourth one, but I saved them all. Yeah. I had, and I developed a technique for filling out the set yeah. because we couldn't duck down to the shop and sort of fiddle around. Yeah. Uh, I wrote to the company that did it, Sanitarium, yeah. and said, look, I've got these that are duplicates. Can I swap them for... And they did it. Oh, but, that's lovely. And I imagined in my innocence that I was probably the only person doing that. <laughs> that probably wasn't the case, but... Yeah. So I saved those sets, and I still have them. Oh, wonderful. I still have the books. I've been carrying them around for more than 60 years now. And which is your favourite, the birds, the fishes, or the people? The strange peoples of the world yeah. fascinated me. It started you off. Yeah. yeah. But it was that, and it's that collecting thing. Yeah. And ultimately, I became a curator yeah. at the museum. And this is how curators... The, the Melbourne Museum? Yes. Right. Uh, this is how curators start out. Yeah. They have something a collection that gets bigger and bigger. Yeah. They have to become a curator to do something with them. Yeah. So they, they go and work in a museum. Yeah. So that's, so that's... 1956 was a momentous year yeah. for me. There was only two things in my life as a child uh, that I was interested in. Mm. One that was so far ahead of anything else that, that whatever else uh, I might be interested in was a long way second mm -hmm. uh, was joining the Navy. Mm -hmm. I don't know why because, as I say, I grew up in a farming community. Yeah. It was probably to get away from all those animals. <laughs> But the only maybe other, it was the fish cards. Right, maybe the only other thing that uh, interested me as something to do as an adult was archaeology. Yeah. And so I did. I did go to sea. I was I was sixteen when I joined the navy, mm -hmm. and I did ten years in the Royal Australian Navy in the Australian Merchant Navy, yeah. and then the British Merchant Navy. Mm -hmm. But I decided after all that that I'd had enough, and so I talked my way into university and studied archaeology. And then ultimately I ended up uh, in the museum, yeah. because just as my life had been a move, moving experience mm -hmm. from as far back as I could remember, I sort of carried that through to what I did for a living. Mm -hmm. So I went to see... I then went to university, I studied, I decided I'd had enough of being an archaeologist, I'll become an archivist. Mm. And I did that and ended up where all old archaeologists end up, in a museum. <laughs> and what was your specialty? In so archaeology? Yeah. Uh, Aboriginal culture. Okay. So Specifically I, the Nam area or...? Um, well... It, it turned out that way. Yeah. Uh, I was employed as a consultant mm -hmm. to carry out archaeological surveys anywhere in Victoria where right. there was a, um, a development going on of some yeah. sort. Yeah. Uh, but then a job was, money was uh, provided to the government department I was with to employ somebody to uh, do a, a major survey of Melbourne. Yeah. from an archaeological, yeah. Aboriginal archaeological yeah. uh, perspective. And I applied and got that job. 
and that literally changed my life because yeah. having done that, it was a 12-month job, yeah. I knew I'd gathered all that information together yeah. and I knew a great deal. I mean, I probably didn't know as much as I know now yeah. because these things, are subjects that get added to all the time. Yeah. But I, I did make that my particular yeah. uh, area of interest and that, you could say, was, yeah, the Port Phillip region yeah. because the people who lived here, yeah. who still live here, of course, yeah. uh, the Woiwurrung, Wurundjeri Woiwurrung yeah. and the Boonawurrung peoples yeah. are connected to other groups yeah. such as the Tongarong, north of the Dividing Range, yeah. the Wathurrung, yeah. Geelong, the Jaujurrung, yeah. etc. So you have to cast a wider net to get the whole yeah. story, I think. Yeah. Sounds like it was an interesting job. It was an interesting job, yeah. yeah. And I've been, I actually wrote a book about Aboriginal people in the Melbourne area yeah. in 1985, yeah. um, which is still in print. It's in its third edition. Awesome. And that was, so that, that was something of a first. And since then, uh, no year goes by when I don't get uh, as many as 10, 12, uh, sometimes 14 uh, different requests to speak. Right. To, to public groups yeah. and I also from time to time uh, am asked to lecture at university. Yeah. I don't think there are enough people actually doing this. I'll ask you the last question. I always ask people to sort of channel their 11 year old self. What do you think 11 year old Gary would advise you now? Well, I think he would probably say, you shouldn't keep throwing out all those things that you've got collected there. You know, These could come in useful at some <laughs> time. Sort of hold on to them. I don't, think, uh, I don't think that I was what some people would say is sort of anally retentive. Yeah. But I did have this, at 11, I, you know, I had a very firm sense of wanting to hold on to things. Yeah. But also, the other thing was that about that age, I started thinking about writing. Yeah. Um, and my life didn't allow me much time to uh, provide more uh, thought about that and to spend more time. It's been, I mean, I've written an enormous amount, really, mm. but it's only been in later years. I was 40. Yeah. when I wrote my first book. So uh, that 11-year-old yeah. planted the seed? Well, yes. Mm -hmm. If, you know, if 11-year-old Gary was to be asked, he'd say, look, pay more attention to the things that you've got here yeah. because this will be formative. I think Gary was always an impatient little fella. <laughs> he sounds very mild-mannered to me. Well... It was very difficult to get anything out of him. You know, I would not have been able to sit here and yeah. and 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 speak in this way. I'd be I'd be so nervous <laughs> at speaking to a stranger. You know, <laughs> you wouldn't get the word out of me. Well, it's a bit of a contrast to what I've found today. Right, exactly <laughs> right. I'm a, I'm a changed man. For the better. I well, I think so. Gary mentions a book he published in this interview. It's called An Archaeological Survey of the Melbourne Metropolitan Area. It was released in 1983. 
with the Victorian Archaeological Survey, Ministry for Planning and Environment, Victoria. You can also read Aboriginal Melbourne, The Lost Land of the Kulin People, Harrelin Press, 2001. The Place for a Village, How Nature Has Shaped the City of Melbourne, Museum Victoria Publishing, 2009. And First People, The Eastern Kulin of Melbourne, Port Phillip and Central Victoria, published in 2010, Melbourne Museum Victoria Publishing. If you'd like more information on today's guest, you can go to Gary's website, garypresland.com.au, G-A-R-Y-P-R-E-S-L-A-N-D.com.au.